Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Lynn Capozzi, and Lynn and I know each other well through the industry that we're in, which is all around how we manage content and how we think of delivering a better experience. She does it over as the CMO of Acquia, which is you know traditionally a CMS built on Drupal, but is very much extended to find ways to arm the entire org to get the right content in front of the right people, something you know that I care so much about. Now, her career is quite interesting. She spent a lot of time at Acquia in its growth years back in 2008 to 2011. And then she calls what she did a boomerang after leaving to focus on some of her own passion around overseeing a nonprofit board. She then returned to be the CMO in 2016. If you haven't followed Acquia, they've had a very interesting path since then. They've had you know different leaders come in. They've had new investors. One of their investors is Vista Equity Partners, the same group that went and brought Marketo to its point of being acquired by Adobe. So you know, great experience. And she talks today to us about this idea of adapting your role as a CMO at every stage. And beyond that, we go beyond just talking about her career and adapting our marketing strategy, especially during the pandemic and ways that they've been able to look at this, not necessarily as something great. All of us you know, would much rather not have to deal with COVID, but how do we treat it as a way to rally our business and take advantage of the opportunities that they present? And I think a lot of us are looking for this, no matter where we are, whether we're on the good side or the negatively impacted side from a business perspective. So this episode is great. Lots of value. Here's my chat with Lynn. Lynn, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us today. You are CMO at Acquia. Let us know how you landed in that a second time, which is kind of teeing up a story. My team calls me a boomerang, where I've come back. It's my second time uh, as CMO of Acquia. Um, I was at Acquia uh, in, in the early days for a couple of years and uh, always loved the company, had such ter- tremendous growth even early on. I left at that time to, to run a nonprofit, kind of raise my kiddos at the same time, and uh, just decided to kind of step back. And it was decided it was time for me to kind of give back. And so I, I did the nonprofit work. I still run the nonprofit. And then um, fast forward a couple of years, I was thinking about maybe coming back into something as a full-time gig. And uh, my former CEO, who I've worked for three different times, who was still the CEO of Acquia, said, do you want to come to lunch? And I said, yes, I do. I do want to come to lunch. And the next thing you know, fell back in love, started back as a consultant. And then about a month later, I was back as a CMO. So um, it's been a wild journey. Uh, it's just been a great opportunity. I mean, how often do you get to do a do-over, right? Um, things that you would have done before. And you know, the company has gone through so much growth. It feels like a different, almost a different company and certainly at a different point in the growth cycle. Just a, just a great opportunity for me. I love it. So I'd love to hit on that aspect of joining and, and missing some of those growth years, but being able to essentially join a company at a different stage. And you know, one of my board of directors talks about this as well. Her name's Alyssa Fink. She's she was CMO at Tableau over 12 years, going from 5 million to a billion in revenue. So 
as she put it, like it was so many different companies within. What were some of the changes that you had to prepare yourself to come back into after roughly five years away from that business? Well, I think there were so many things that were different. First of all, we, we had a, such a larger customer base, right? We always were the Drupal company. Well, we will always be the Drupal company, but we've also expanded tremendously. So, you know, we went from a small product offering to six, seven products that we have that sell to different personas. So the product portfolio has grown, who we sell to had grown. Uh, we've, we expanded our channels. It was really kind of growth in all areas of the company. So it, it was almost like starting again in terms of figuring out, and I did it that way. I looked at it and took a view that said, okay, I'm coming in. I'm coming in as if I'm brand new. Erase what I knew from the past. I'm coming in new. What do I do from this point forward? Nothing to do with what we did in the past. And I was glad that I approached it that way because it, it, it did give me an opportunity to kind of look at things differently and really plan for a lot of future growth. So I was glad that I did that. Obviously, you, you believe in people progressing in their career and be, being able to handle that next stage. I'm curious, how many of the people that you formed as your key team at CMO uh, were people you had worked with on the first go around? Did you bring any other boomerangs with you? Some of the folks had still been, still been there. Um, obviously, a lot of folks had changed, right? As people kind of move on in their career and what I call kind of fly off from the nest to do the next thing and, and take on new challenges. So some of the folks um, we brought back from the past, another person that kind of came back was Tom Wentworth. He's also been a CMO. He came back back in to run product marketing for us. So there, there, you know, there's a lot of people within the organization that we kind of we brought back, or I brought from other companies as well. That's great. So I'm I'm curious on another front, and and for those who don't know the Aquarius story, one of the the milestones that you hit in the last couple of years was taking a large investment from Vista Equity Partners. And I know a lot of you know marketers who were at Marketo through those years and. You talk about coming back to Aquia, it's a change. I can imagine there's a change that also happens with that type of change of control. Maybe you can talk about how you had to reinvent yourself for that next stage of growth. And you know, I know there's been a lot of acquisitions happening through Aquia. How does that impact the CMO role? Yeah, well, it's I'm quite a bit, I'd say. You know, we were so we did get, you know, acquired by Vista Equity Partners. And that for us, that just gave us the it gave us the platform to have more growth. They um, you know, put a big investment in us and it really encouraged us to continue our acquisition strategy. So it meant tremendous growth for us. Honestly, it meant more budget. It meant more kind of from a marketing standpoint. And um, and also changing in terms of the companies that we acquired. So, you know, we acquired three companies within, I don't know, a 12 to 18 month period of time. I usually say is that, you know, we went through kind of a year of acquisition and now we're on a year of integration, right? And taking the best from all those products and kind of pulling them together into our platform. So, and Vista gave us the runway to do that. Uh, really just kind of gave us a, you know, a huge opportunity for growth, but it meant for us, it meant acquiring new product, you know, every time I turned around, we were acquiring other companies with, you know, other products, their site, their brand, every, in every acquisition was an integration of a new brand and then figuring out, okay, how is that, you know, how do we make that into an Acquia brand without destroying or crushing the brand value that those companies already have in those existing customers? So that was the challenge, but, but I think we're, we're safely out on the other side. That's exciting. Yeah, and I want to kind of go back to this idea of even yourself as a CMO having to reinvent yourself coming in that second boomerang experience. 
And it, as well as you hit on, you had to change the way you thought about what Vista's goals were for the business and the opportunities it presented. You know, how does your role change as a, a member of the board or reporting to the board at different stages of these companies? Because I assume the responsibilities to a board as a CMO today are very different than the responsibilities on your first go around. Uh, yeah, well, the reporting gets much more in-depth as the company grows. No, no question about that one. And I think it changes because in the beginning, you know, you're focused a lot on, well, one, you're focused on survival most of the time. When the company is small, you're really focused on survival. You're focused a lot on, as a CMO, how am I creating this category, right? How are you, how are you doing category creation that you're in? How are you establishing yourself as a leader in that category? And although that work always continues as a CMO, in the earlier stages, it's just so critical. You spend so much time even, I remember talking to the to our boards um, about that, about the category creation and where we stand in that. And so I think it's, you know, as the business evolves and as, you know, as the company grows, you spend more time around what's the future, right? What is the next year plan? What's the three-year plan? How are we going to look ahead even further? I spend more of my time now around the one to three-year plan um, than I ever have in the past because of our growth. So we're always kind of looking ahead. And I think that's that's probably the biggest difference in terms of how my role has changed. That's such a good point. I remember I was on an airplane, granted, it must have been at least a year ago with it, the world we're in right now. And I, I knew the the executive sitting in front of me and he was much, with a much bigger company and I could see his screen and some of the P&L that he was looking for was three or four years out. And and we talk about that at our stage of company at Uberflip, but we're not at the level of line detail that I could just glimpse at his screen and see. And, and I'm sure that's that's a big adjustment because, as you said, you know, a lot of us as marketers, we're trying to figure out the upcoming quarter, let alone two years out, what our modeling may look like. Yeah, but Randy, I think this past year also has changed it for everybody, right? So with all of the you know pandemic stuff going on, I think all of us as marketers had to stop and think, what do I do in the next three months, never mind two years, right? What do I do in the next three months or six months, you know, during COVID and post COVID? So I think a lot of, you know, a lot of industries were impacted. Our industry is no exception. So, you know, luckily we at Acura, we're, you know, we're all about digital, right? So we kind of, you know, we're a beneficiary of it, but, but our business was impacted as well. I mean, I think every industry was impacted. So what you're focusing on, you know, with three, three months or six months or two years from now has really, I think has changed somewhat this past year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, you know, a lot of our our best plans for 2020 are worth very little right now. Right, uh, right. And even even as we look to 21, I think a lot of us have three variations of Q2. Lynn, this is great. We're going to take a short break here on the marketer's journey. We'll be right back with Lynn Capozzi and we'll chat about the buyer journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
So I love how Lynn decided to boomerang, as she called it, back into Acquia. And I think for a lot of us, there's no shame in coming back to a business that we started our career with or really just felt that connection. And it's one of the questions that I ask any interview I have had, which is where were you the most happy? Where did you enjoy your role, what you were doing? And there's a lot of people who maybe have to leave to figure that out. There's others, and I've interviewed someone recently who said, you know what, I've been with this company for eight years and I wanna see it through to that next point. We have a member of my own team who boomeranged themselves. They left, they spent a number of years in a sales role, went to Adobe, you know, learned how a much larger organization ran and then came back and is now a director of sales with us, having brought back that knowledge and come back to us at a different stage quick call out there to Ken on that front. And, and I think that every career is a little bit different. You know, in this episode, I hit on Alyssa Fink, who spent 12 years as the CMO at Tableau and describes every stage of that is a different opportunity. I think that's the way we have to look at it. Sometimes the opportunity to boomerang is a brand new opportunity. It's not a step back. It's going back in and bringing the knowledge you've amassed through the rest of your career journey. So Lynn, you hit on this earlier, the, the effects of the pandemic have really shifted the way people are thinking about executing on marketing. And both of our businesses are there to help in this digital destination, you know, a CMS, a content experience platform, you know, you need both to execute at the end of the day. What have you seen from customers who are kind of turning more to digital amid the need to change? Yeah, I think we're seeing I think we're seeing some good changes. First of all, like everyone is content binging, right? So content, the need for content is just, you know, growing incredibly. Um, you know, short forms of content, long forms of content, uh, videos, all, all kind of content is being consumed. And I think a couple of things are going on. And I think a couple of good things. First of all, I feel like as marketers, we are all hopefully all of us are getting rid of the jargon. And so we're, we're eliminating that and leaving that in the past because I think what we're seeing is with everybody content binging, you got to kind of raise above the noise in order to do that. You got to be genuine. You got to be empathetic and genuine. And you have to make sure that you're providing real value, right? Because people will jump, they'll hop in a minute. If it's not something that they're interested in, if it's not applicable, if it's not personal to them, um, they'll definitely hop. And so I think for us as marketers, less jargon, better content, more content, more relevant content. Um, I think brands that are, you know, really providing value are the ones that are going to succeed in the long term. So, you know, companies that are doing, I think, you know, companies that are doing really smart things, you know, like a Lululemon, like who doesn't love Lululemon, you know, yoga classes online, right? Or King Arthur Baking, everyone's baking, King Arthur Baking, and they're providing recipes online and, uh, and chef cooking classes online and uh, a baking hotline. I mean, those are all like really added value type things that they're providing. And, um, and I think that's going to continue. And I think those brands that can figure out how to do that, they're the ones that are going to continue to rise above the noise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And, and I mean, those are all examples of going beyond the core product offering. And as you said, adding value. Can we just go deeper on what do you mean by jargon? Because there's, there's no shortage of jargon. And I think everyone listening is probably thinking about jargon in their own uh, industry, 
Can you give an example, perhaps, of something that you've seen either your own team or some of your customers move away from? Um, I think I'll give you, you know, I'll give you an example from my own, from my own house, if you will. So from my own team, you know, we, we did a, uh, we've done recent content audits to make sure that our content is still relevant and the content pieces that were not direct enough or the ones that I don't call them too fluffy or the ones that were just like not empathetic to kind of what's going on right now. And so I think just taking a new lens at looking at your content striking through to say, you know, this was a, this was a one pager. Am I sure I can't put this down in three sentences? That's a simple example, but it really, I think is the time for us to kind of re-examine that and, and look at that. I, I know a lot of people are doing content audits like that and kind of getting rid of the, you know, the, the irrelevant type language and much more value oriented, right? Much more benefit value oriented, um, which speaks again to personalized messages, not just generic broad messages. I'm curious when you take on a project such as the one you just outlined, you know, auditing your content, obviously those who are in a content marketing position will be involved, but, but who's setting the, the new positioning, the tone, the empathy that you're aiming for, is that coming from product marketing in your organization and, and kind of informing the content strategy or who's setting that? Within, within the way you run your team? Yeah, it's a, a good question. It's very much a tight, a tight ship. So it's a tight group between product marketing and marketing. And so, you know, we have product marketers that help us with, okay, what is the product messaging and who is it designed for? And what are the major, you know, the selling points about it? And what are the value messages? Working closely with my team in marketing to make sure that the way we're talking about those products fits within our brand and also is the right language for the right persona. And so it's definitely a nice combination between product marketing and marketing. And, and when you have that mix, you know, and, and some people listening in may say, well, that's one person on my team, or, you know, those are people in different parts of the org, if they're reporting into product as an example, you know, is the idea that one of those two groups is going to come already having made decisions or the, or the decisions are made together and then everyone breaks off? Um, I, I think the decisions are made together. So I actually, I love the thinking about kind of product marketing is like the tip of the triangle where, where, you know, it's the connection between marketing and product and pro product marketing kind of leads in that area. And so product marketing should be leading around the messaging. The rest of marketing can help with the branding and, you know, the messaging for it and maybe even the right language on it. But I, I like to see product, that product marketing function lead in that effort. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, this is something I talk a lot about uh, out, out there in the sense of when we think about it, it, it used to be the mindset that we were going to lead more with our content marketing at the top of the funnel. And our product marketing was really just handed over to sales or living on our website. Now, as we talk about this buyer journey that has so many turns that we don't expect, at some point, they almost have to morph into one. So I, I, I love the way you're describing that because, you know, whether it's the triangle, the tip of the triangle, this idea of the two coming together, in many cases, that's what our buyers want. When you talk about them binging content, at some point, they're going to go from a thought leadership piece to reading about how our offering may help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what we're seeing more and more is people are doing that research on their own. 
they're researching way before we get to them or talk with them or try to get them in a sales situation. I think this is almost true everywhere. So, you know, that content is even more critical because so many more people are researching on their own. Think of it like even as individuals, like when we go to buy a product, look at how much research we do now, right? And we're doing a lot of that research on our own and searching and before we do anything around, you know, starting a transaction, a purchasing transaction. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm curious with, within your org, between that marketing group and that product marketing group, who is the one getting closest to the customer itself? And, and are you doing that directly with the customer or are you doing that through your sales org? Uh, well, it has to be both, right? So yes, of course, the sales, we are working closely with the sales organization around that. And, you know, sales is the front line to the customer, but, you know, product marketing and product management is right behind them so that they should have some direct communication happening with the customer. So we know what's their requirement, what features should come next, you know, what can, what are they having issues with? What does the product experience look like? What areas do we need to improve on? So you know, it's the sales team that manages that front relationship, but the product marketing and even the product managers should have that direct contact with customers. We, I always, always, always support that and make sure that that's part of uh, product marketing objectives, that they're talking to enough customers. Absolutely. And, and I'm just curious, we've talked maybe as a last question on this, as we're adapting to these new norms, I can imagine that, that Acquia has embraced things like a customer advisory board. How have you made that work to get that feedback and understand what you need to do to be empathetic? You know, when we can't get in the same room as them, we can't have the events that we used to do. Yeah, we we have different ways that we do customer feedback. So we do have a customer advisory board. We also have a partner advisory board, which is some of our like top partners. And we get, we, pre we present to them and we do the same thing on the customer side. We literally present, a, we're now we're doing it by Zoom, but we literally present a product roadmap and then we ask people actually to vote on features. And so it's really interesting when you give them that power, well, what would you do next? What do you want next? What's most important? And then the dialogue starts between the customers where they say, oh, that's important to you. I didn't really, oh, I had that as my number three. Did you put that as number one? And so not that it's a total democracy, but it is a great way to get feedback. And so we continue those product advisory, uh, the partner advisory board sessions, we do the same with our partners, the customer advisory board. We always have surveys that we're doing. And then, you know, we're on the phone with customers one-on-one -on -one all the time to try to, you know, figure out where they're at. I've been telling my team, you know, customer retention is the new acquisition. And so it's really important that we, you know, continue to maintain and support our existing customers because they are our growth and that's what's going to happen. They're going to help us lead to more growth. So customer advocacy is important for us. And we are working on helping to create, you know, advocacy within our customers because i want our customers to be our heroes and our advocates not just us absolutely no that's great advice and and this episode has been packed with it lynn we're going to take a short break here we're going to get a little bit more personal advice from you right after this last break You heard Lynn hit on this idea of the rise of customer marketing, and I couldn't agree more. You know, there's a lot of reasons through the pandemic that she touched on, but I think just in general, the importance of retention is having us double down or even just create budget for the first time for this important category. And with that's gonna come a lot of different decisions. Uh, we touched on people hiring, 
the right individuals and determining where customer marketing will roll up in your organization. This is very similar. I mean, Lynn and I chatted earlier today about where does product marketing sit? You know, some of us have it into products, some of us have it into marketing. The same, I think, could be debated with customer marketing. Does it belong in the CX org? Does it belong in the marketing org? You know, we get more into the processes and defining, is this all about advocacy? Is it about retention? Is it ultimately about upsell? There's different categories, just as we have the top of the funnel, the, you know, the pipeline generation and thinking about the different stages there. We need to do the same with that customer marketing piece. And from there, from a tech perspective, as I said, there's going to be important tech that we have to consider. You know, over the years, we've seen solutions like Gainsight got a massive investment as well from Vista Equity Partners, I believe. And you look at that and say, well, where else will we need to invest in customer marketing? I think everything will be important there, even the way we engage with content. You know, we have a lot of customers at Uberflip who actually leverage Uberflip for engaging customers, putting the right content in the right hands at the right time. So really think about your customer marketing practice across all of those different elements, you know, the people, the process and the technology. Lynn, what I love about what you've shared with us today is you've found in your career to make priorities for what's important to you. You know, leaving Aqua at a time of growth and going and focusing on a nonprofit, that's that's putting your values first. How do you continue to do that, especially these days where we're all working from home, we feel like we can work all the time. How do you put other priorities first when needed? Yeah, I think it's I think it's always challenging, right? It's I think it's difficult, like you said, especially during these times. One is I do have my kind of nonprofit side of my life, which I, which I focus on, and I make sure that I dedicate time to that. So literally, you know, my calend- I do calendar entries um, and I save and preserve that time to make sure that I'm still working on things outside of work. And that happens to be my, my nonprofit work. So I make dedicated time for that. And that's something that I don't change. And it's a do not, everyone knows on my calendar, do not schedule anything over that time because I am not going to change it. So, and I've had that um, attitude, you know, for a long time. Lately, I've done things to make sure that, uh, you know, I really try to get outside one time a day, even if I do, I typically do one phone call where I'm walking. So I change a meeting to a walking meeting and I do, um, I'm on the phone. So I'm on the phone, but at least it gives me some outside time and, and some air. And so if I see it start to get dark, you know, I'll say, can we switch your meeting to a phone meeting? And then I literally just walk outside, which I think is important. Um, the other is, I think, to make sure, I mean, I think one of the things that I do for my team and also for myself is we have on Wednesday mornings every week, I implemented a no Zoom zone. And so every Wednesday for four hours in the morning, no Zooms. Now, you you know, you can do whatever you need to do, whether that be take care of your kids or, you know, catch up on your work that you need to do. But it's like the no zone time and everybody in the group and the team respects that. That's great. Is that marketing specific or Acquia wide? Uh, it's just marketing. Okay. You got to get everyone to buy in and then then they'll leave your marketers alone, right? No, I know. No, I think people are, they, they've heard about it. People in the company know it. Oh, it's marketing, no Zoom zone time. So I've heard people say it. Um, That's great. Yeah, it's just one, one little tidbit, but you know what? It's really worked and people have really appreciated it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, all that is great advice. I, you know, the the idea of going outside for a walk, I actually do this with my entire marketing team on a rotating basis. They're called in their calendars, it's called a walk and talk. And there's there's a few rules to the walk and talk. Our listeners may have heard me say this before, 
The first is no Zoom, similar to your other rule. Uh, the second is no slides. Uh, and the third is no couch. So they have to get out. Like they can't just go sit on the couch. Now it's getting harder as it gets colder. I'm in Toronto. Uh, I think you're in Boston, if yeah. I'm right. So yep. it's, it, it gets trickier this time of year, but, but they're good rules to follow on, on a regular basis. Lynn, this has been great hearing from you. For those tuning in who stumbled upon this for the first time, every week we are hearing great stories like Lynn's. One day I hope you're sharing your story on this podcast too. Everyone's journey is unique and I thank everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.